0: I want to start out this morning uh, just by taking a, a, a moment just to pray before we get into this last message in this series, all right? Join me in that. Father God, Just uh, I thank you for loving us, and I thank you for being with us, and I thank you for being for us all the time. And God, today, I just, I just would ask that, um, that our hearts and our, our ears would be open to you. God, what you want to share with us today, that we'd receive it. I thank you for your presence here already this morning and just ask that that would continue. As we dig into your word, God, that your word would dig into our hearts. And that what we hear today from you would change us in a very profound way. God, would you be with us all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if Satan is king of anything, he's king of getting us to focus on what isn't instead of what is. Let me give you some examples. Instead of looking at what we have, we often lament over what we don't have. Instead of counting our blessings, we spend a lot of time cataloging our bruises. Instead of singing God's praises, We share our problems. And that's all part of Satan's goal. To keep us so focused on our current situation, whatever that might be. So focused on our current situation that we forget about our spiritual position. And recognizing our spiritual position is incredibly important when it comes to surviving the spiritual battles that we face as believers. So I want to share just for a moment about just some basics of our spiritual battle. You know, we've been in this series called Reality, the Battle Between Good and Evil. We've been talking about how Satan works um, on us and and what we have in God to to kind of battle these um, spiritual forces that are at work in the world and at work in our lives. And, and so I just want to kind of go back and, and, and kind of make sure that we're all on the same page and share some, just some basics of our spiritual battle and how Satan works. Because Satan has a pretty sta- straightforward method of operation. Like he doesn't deviate from that very much. And, and um. And so we're going to move through this pretty quick because we've covered a lot of it in the last three weeks. And so let me just encourage you to go back um, and, and maybe if you've missed a few weeks and you're like, what is he talking about? Go back and watch that on on our website. You can also subscribe to our uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to the messages um, there, get them downloaded uh, just automatically, and then listen to them whenever. Um, If you go to my message notes on the website from your mobile device, click on that. I've put a link to um, that Apple Podcast in those message notes, so if you're following along this morning that way, uh, you can jump over to that and get subscribed. So let me just kind of break down how Satan works in our lives and kind of just, the, again, the method of operation that he uses when it comes to trying to get us, uh, get us to, to kind of be where he wants us to be. So the first thing that Satan does, that you and I know this, we see it all the time, is that he tempts us to sin. He's constantly putting the bait out there. We talked about that uh, last week. He's constantly putting that bait out, hoping that we'll take the bait and we will sin. And that's really the first step. He wants to get us hooked in that sin, and so he throws that bait out there. He tempts us to sin. And then after we take the bait, after we sin, then he attacks us for sinning. So he says things to us, he whispers things to us like, you're a terrible person. Like a good Christian would never do that. How in the world do you think that, that God could love you or forgive you or want a person like you as a follower or in church or as a spouse or a friend? And so he gets us to, to sin, he tempts us to sin And then he attacks us with that sin, and and last, he tries to trap us with that sin. And so once we've sinned, and then he begins to, to tell us things like, nobody cares about you, and how could you do that? Then he uses guilt and shame to keep us from seeking God, to keep us from being around other believers, to keep us from praying or reaching out. So he's like, why would God listen to your prayers? Because look at all of these things that you've done. And so he piles on the guilt and the shame until we just kind of pull away from everything and everyone. But Satan's temptations aren't really about getting us to sin or even about the sins we commit. I want to think about that for just a second, because this is important for later on in the message. Satan's Temptations aren't really about getting us to sin or even about the sins that we commit. Those temptations are just his means to trick us into questioning God's love, God's power, God's forgiveness. See, Satan knows that he has no real power, no real position, no real platform in the life of the follower of Jesus. And so He uses our sin. He uses the sin of others to get you and I to question God's faithfulness. And here's why. Because what you believe about God determines what you believe about everything else. What you believe about God determines what you believe about everything else. So if you believe that there is no God... That determines what you believe about everything else, right? If you believe that God isn't faithful, that God isn't for you, that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't care about you, that's going to affect what you believe about everything else in the world. It'll determine how you treat others. What you believe about God will determine how generous or greedy you are. It'll determine how angry you become. So we're going to wrap this series up this morning with a look at what the Apostle Paul says about the spiritual battle that we are all in all the time and about God, what he says about God, so that we can learn to stand in the victory that God has already won for us. So we're going to jump into our text today. We're in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So uh, on your mobile device, uh, if you have a a paper Bible, I'll bet we could get somebody to flip on that uh, middle section of lights back there. Um, uh, So if you have a paper Bible, you could actually see it this morning. That would be good. Uh, If you don't have a phone or Bible, whatever, you can follow along. It'll be up on uh, the screen as well. I think it's Nope, the far one. Boom. All right, Romans chapter 8. It's in my message notes. You can follow along there as well. Here's what Paul writes. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all good things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it not God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is is also interceding for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. By the way, those two lines come from Psalm 44, 22. It's kind of a a this is how we feel section there. Verse 37, he says, no... None of these things I've just mentioned can separate you from God. And in all these things, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, there's some pretty big opposing thoughts presented by Paul in these few verses. With a basic question on either side of these who questions. So he asked who, 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 who. It's a lot of who. Who did this, who did that. So look at, let's look at um, first at Paul's questions surrounding God, because he's really like two things there's God and then there's somebody else, okay? So verse 32, he asked this question, who did not spare his son? And, and the answer is, do you know? God. God didn't spare his son. In verse 33, he says, who justifies? And the answer is, God, good, you're, getting, you're catching on, follow along, good. In verse 34, he said this, who died and was raised to life? Yeah, Jesus, who is God, right? The last question in verse 37, he says, Who has loved us? And the answer is God. So, all of these things Paul's saying, Look, God loves you, God justifies you, God died and rose again for you, God is for you. God did this all because God is for you. He wants the best for you. He wants to welcome you to heaven. He wants to forgive you. He wants to enjoy life with you. The idea that God is in heaven watching all of our lives for every time that we screw up so he can drop the hammer on us, so he can punish us, so he can get us for doing the wrong things that we did, that is just not true. God is patiently waiting for every person possible To come to faith in Jesus so that he can justify and save and welcome them to eternity. And in the meantime, right now, God is in heaven and he's cheering for you. He's directing your steps. He's easing your pain. He's blessing your life even when you can't see it. That's who God is in Paul's estimation. And we can sum it up by just saying, God is for you. But there's another who in the verses that that we've read. Let's look at those for a second. In verse 31, Paul asks this question, who can be against us? And since we already know that God is for us, we kind of have to just assume that the answer to that question is no one. Right, right? If God is for us, he says, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. If God is for us, nobody can be against us. In verse 33, he says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Well, it's God who justifies. We already saw that. So who can bring any charge? The answer is n- no one. In verse 34, he asks this who question: Who is the one who condemns? No one. And in verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ Jesus? And he didn't answer that question. We're going to look at that in a few minutes. But before we look at 35 a little more closely, I want to sum up this section. And I don't want to sum it up like this. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you have no one to fear. We're talking about this spiritual battle that rages around us all the time. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have no one to fear. That's what Paul is is trying to get across here. He's like, look, there's all of these things going on in our lives, but the reality is that no one can come against you. Let's look at the statements in this passage, and we're going to replace them with me. Okay? Just follow along here. First, he says, no one is against me. All right? This is what he said. Like, if God is for you, who can be against you? The answer is no one. So no one is against me. Let's just say that together real quick. No one is against me. That wasn't very good. Let's do it one more time. Everybody together. No one is against me. Good. Let's just go on to the next one. No one can bring a charge against me. Let's say it together. No one can bring a charge against me. Lastly, he says, no one condemns me. Together. No one condemns me. Are you beginning to get this picture? Like we have this big fear of Satan, like he's there all the time and he's judging us and he's condemning us and he's doing all this thing. And God's going, no, you don't understand how this works. I'm the king. I'm the top. I justify. I forgive. I am the one that matters here. And so nobody is against you. No one can bring a charge against you. No one can condemn you because God is for you. But look at what he says On the other side of this, he says about God that God is for me, right? He says that in the first verse we looked at. God is for me. Let's say that. God is for me. Here's the next one. God gave His only Son, Jesus, in place of me. He did that for you. Let's say it together. God gave His only Son, Jesus, in place of me. God gives me all good things. Together, God Gives me all good things. God intercedes for me. God intercedes for me. God loves me. God loves me. When we buy into the lives of Satan, we fall prey to his methods of operation. We may think in the middle of whatever trouble is going in our lives, we may think these thoughts, God hates me. Life will never get any better. I'll never succeed, like, like I'll never be who I want to be or where I want to be. My life will never improve. And when we start getting those feelings, we begin to, to continue to move through that, and we begin to then say, what's the point of following God? If my life is never going to improve, it's never going to be any better. If God's not doing what I think He ought to be doing, if I don't feel like God is for me, why should I be following God at all? These are the thoughts that enter our mind when we're losing our spiritual battles. But I want you to notice something in the passage that we just read. Satan isn't mentioned. Did you catch that? Nowhere in that passage is Satan mentioned. There's really really only two people that are mentioned. God is is one of them because it's God who justifies, God who saves, God who forgives, God who loves. And then the other person isn't really a person. He says no one. There's no one who condemns. No one is against you. Ultimately, Satan has zero power to do anything of consequence in our lives unless we start buying into what he's selling. Remember, we go back to the beginning where we said Satan has this method of operation, right? He tempts us to sin. When we do sin, he attacks us for that sin. And then he comes and tries to trap us with guilt and shame within that sin. And so this is how he works. What he wants to do is to take our eyes off of God. He wants to take our eyes off of what God has done for us, and he wants us to put our eyes on what we don't do not have. Remember I said if he's the king of anything, he's the king of getting us to focus on what isn't instead of what is. We begin to look at what we don't have instead of what we have. We begin to look at the blessings that other people have instead of the blessings that we have. This is why what you believe about God is so important. Because if you believe that God is for you, then even in times of trouble, you'll walk in freedom. Even in times of, of trouble, when life just seems to be pressing in, I, I know, I've been there in times when, when I don't think I can take anymore, when we understand who God is, that God is for us, even when life isn't going our way, we can go, I know God is there. And I can keep going. Because God is with me. But if we begin to believe that God is not for us, then our faith will begin to wither in fear. And that brings us to the last question that Paul asks. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Christ. So he's been asking these questions, and and they're either answered with God or with no one, right? But when he comes to this question and he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, I want you to notice that no person is mentioned. Do, Do you see any people in that verse? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Satan, or your spouse, or that evil guy you work with, or that nasty cashier at the grocery? He didn't mention any of those. Instead, he lists a a bunch of physical forces that we might face in our life. So he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? But then he lists all these things. Trouble. That's like momentary challenges that come in our lives and then go. We kind of all face those at different times. He mentions hardships. This is like constant difficult situations that just squeeze you. You ever been in that? Like they just squeeze you until you go you find out like God, I can't take anymore. Like if one more thing goes wrong, I'm gonna lose it. This is not good, I can't take it. He mentions persecutions. Well, some might experience this based on their color or gender or their non-conformity or their disability. But most of us in America, we don't understand persecution like he's talking about in Scripture. He mentions famine, which is this, this constantly not having enough to eat or knowing when you might. Get enough to eat. Nakedness. He says it's not really about being naked. It really is about having sufficient clothing and no means of getting any more. Think about this winter's coming. There's going to be people who don't have coats and don't have the means to get coats. That's nakedness he's talking about. There's also danger he mentions. It's, it's talking about being in physical danger or at risk of physical danger. And then finally, he mentions sword, which refers to being killed for your faith in Jesus. Now each of these is a physical force that you and I at different times in our lives and different stages may face varying levels. But Paul says emphatic- emphatically that none of these physical forces can separate you from God's love. Who can separate you from the love of Christ? Not these physical forces. Not trouble or hardship or persecution or nakedness or none of those things. In fact, he goes on to say that, that in these physical forces, you are more than conquerors. Like, you're just not surviving. We're not just surviving. We're conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We're destroying these things. There is no physical force that can come against you that can separate you from the love of Christ. Not even Close. They pose no threat to those who believe. But those are bold words, right? And maybe you're like me and you read that and you go, maybe Paul doesn't understand what I've been through in my life. Maybe Paul doesn't really, really get it. Like Paul, I don't know if you go to 1 Corinthians, you can read about this stuff. Paul, he was um, shipwrecked three times, um, thought he was going to die multiple times. He, he was actually stoned to death with rocks uh, until he died. Um, he was beaten. He, I mean, on and on the list goes. Like Paul understands the physical forces that can come against us in our lives. And, and we look at that verse and we go, "What? How do you, look." I mean, just be honest, I'm sad to say that in my past when I have faced trouble and hardship and, and financial difficulties, I didn't handle those things like a conqueror. I didn't handle those physical force things that Paul mentioned that come into my life like a conqueror. I handled them like the conquered. I began to buy into Satan's lie that, and started thinking that, that maybe God wasn't really for me, that, he, that maybe God didn't really love me the way I thought He should, that He hadn't really called me into ministry, that He wasn't fighting on my behalf. But I came to a point in my life, it really about the darkest that it had gotten, Where I just came to this point and I said, look, there's, there's really nowhere else to go. Because even if I think that everything is awful and everything is wrong and God isn't for me, if I walk away from God, what hope do I have that anybody else will come to my rescue? At least in God, I I can go, God, I hope that things will get better. If I walk away from God, if I don't have God, I have no hope that there will be any improvement ever in my life. When we start believing that God really isn't for us, that's when trouble really starts to happen. When I started believing that God really was for me, though, that He didn't hate me, but loved me dearly, that He wasn't disappointed in me because of my failures, but He was determined to help me succeed, when I began to believe that God was for me, I started seeing my troubles and hardships differently. I begin to see God using the things that had happened in my life as tools to grow me instead of ways to punish me. So Paul says, look, these physical forces that, comes in, that come into our lives, when we're in Christ, when we have that hope, when we understand that God is for us, no matter what's going on around us, we are more than conquerors. But there's more. It's not just physical forces that have no power over us. It's philosophies too. Paul goes on to say in the next verse that that the bigger questions in life, things that we can't really fathom that can sap so much energy from us, things that we contemplate, you know, and it's those questions that other people ask us that we don't have an answer for. And so Paul throws these things out. And he says, look, it's not just physical force stuff. It's philosophical stuff too. He says, the questions about death. You ever had a question about death? Hey, you're a believer. What do you think happens when you die? Where do we go and what happens once we get there? Those are big questions that we don't really have good answers for. Questions about life. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Is there any more to life than what I'm experiencing right now? Paul says philosophical questions like angels and demons, spiritual beings that we can't see, but things that influence and affect our lives. Questions about present and future, things about time, when will it all be over? Will I even get tomorrow? What does eternity look like? He says, powers are forces that come to bear in my life. Height and depth or, or space. Is there anywhere I can go where God isn't or where I can get away? He wraps it up by saying, nothing else in all of creation, of all that we see and all that has yet to be seen, there is nothing in the created universe that has the powers to separate us from God. And that's amazing, as a follower of Jesus, to have no fear of physical forces or philosophies that might come against us. So why does Paul say, who? He mentions physical forces and philosophies. Why does he say, who? Well, I think he's trying to help us understand that no one and no force can separate me from God except me. There's no force on earth that can pull us away or pry us away from God, separate us from him. The only who that fits is me. I'm the only one in all of creation that has that power. Nothing that you and I face in our lives can separate us. Nothing I fear can separate me. Nothing I can fathom can separate me. Except me. I can buy into the only option that Satan has. To get me to believe that God is not for me. When God is no longer for me, I have to look out for myself. And that's when Satan gets us. So how do we fight this spiritual battle? Where Satan uses our own sin to manipulate us into walking away from God. That really is the only option, right, that we're left with in this this passage because Paul says there isn't anybody else that can separate. God is for us. No one else is against us. So what do we do? How do we fight this spiritual battle where Satan is manipulating us? Well, I think we hold on to what the Bible says, even if it's hard, even if we don't want to believe it, even if it doesn't make perfect sense, because if I believe it, I'll live like it. If I believe it, I'll live like it. If I believe that nothing can separate me from God, I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. That's how that works. If I believe that God gives me all good things, I won't fall to Satan's lies when things don't go exactly as I had planned them to. If I believe that God loves me, I'll recognize the real enemy when trouble and hardship and financial problems and job insecurities come my way. If I believe that God is for me, I won't cower in fear of God when I fail or when I fall. I'll run to Him because I know He wants the best for me. Because if God is for us, no one can be against us. If you're convinced that God is for you, you'll live like... If you're not convinced, sorry, if you're not convinced that God is for you, You'll live like God is constantly failing you. And that's a depressing place to be. And and, and guess what? A lot of us, as believers, we get to that point at least once. At least once, it just seems like everything is going wrong, nothing will ever go right. And we just go, God can't be for me because of all of these bad things that are happening to me. And we begin to believe that God is the one who's failing. And if God is God and he's failing, there's no place else to turn. But if you believe that God is for you, then you'll give your life for him. You'll become the conqueror of all those things that come against you. And so I just want to ask this morning, maybe you're here and you've bought the lies of Satan. You've begun to question whether God is really for you. If, if you feel this morning like you're losing the battle, if that's you today, I, I want to pray for you specifically because, because look, I, I know that even in Christ, we come to those points where we just like, it's, it's not going to work. So I want to pray for us this morning. And and if you're in that place right now where you're beginning to think that maybe God isn't for me, I want to pray for you. Let's just do that together. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for being a God that is bigger than our questions, bigger than our problems, bigger than our failures, bigger even than our choices. God, I know that today maybe there's Somebody, maybe there's several somebodies who are just in a place in life where they're being squeezed and they just don't know where they can turn or what they can, that they can do. It just seems like nothing is working. And, and right now, even though they're here this morning, they're beginning to feel like you're not with them. Like you're not for them. Father God, I pray for those of us this morning who are in that place that you would begin to shine a light in their soul. That you would begin to open their eyes to all that you've given, all that you've done, and and really, maybe most importantly even, you'd begin to open them up to hope again. Hope that whatever they're facing isn't the end. It's not the end of their marriage. It's not the end of their home. It's not the end of their job. It's not the end of their life. But that you have a plan that extends far beyond what they can see. God, would you pour hope into their lives? Would we all, Father, Grab hold of this truth that Paul shares today. That you are for us. No matter what is going on around us. There is hope in you, Father. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Look, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. But a spirit of power. To face every spiritual battle, not in our own strength. We talked about that in week one. But in His strength, if we hold tight to the truth that God is for us and so no one can be against us. Next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. And and I've kind of lost count. I think we've got about six people who are ready to take that step. And today, maybe you're one of them who's been thinking, Maybe I need to, maybe that's the next thing for me. I want to encourage you to to take that step, to be immersed, to to have your sins washed away, as Romans 6 says, to enter into a new and powerful life with Jesus and experience this new creation that, that God will make us into. And it doesn't mean that all your problems just immediately cease and and God just opens the sky and that sunlight beam, you know, shines down on us. Everything is perfect. But it means what Paul says in Romans 8. That because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, we can face those physical forces and those philosophies and we can be more than conquerors of those things because Christ gives us his strength. We can walk firmly every day knowing God is for me and no one is against me and I can stand firm in that hope of God and nothing else in my life if everything goes wrong, God is always right and I can hold on to that. If you're ready to take that step, you can register on your mobile device or back at the Connection Hub after the service. You know, baptism is a powerful picture of our death, the death to our old life of fear and rebirth into a new life of faith. But that choice really is yours and yours alone. Only you can take that step. Only you can make that decision. And I hope you'll join others next Sunday and begin your new life in Jesus. Look, church, we can find ultimate confidence and hope in this. We face spiritual battles of all different kinds. What we've been talking about all month, here's what it comes down to. God is victorious. Over everything that we face and every spiritual battle that's going on that we'll never see and never know about, God is victorious in the end and He is always for you. He's not watching for you to fail, He's watching for ways that He can build you up and make you into something amazing. Learning about how to combat temptation and spiritual attack is important, but it must be undergirded with trust. That God is the agent and the power behind all our efforts and the motivation for our resistance against Satan's schemes. We can't fight Satan's schemes and these spiritual battles without Christ in our lives. R.C. Sproul said this Do you know what happens? Do you know what happens to people when they are persuaded? They become convinced. And people who are convinced have convictions. And people who have convictions live according to principles. I hope today that you're convinced, beyond the shadow of what's going on in your life, that God is for you, and He wants the best for you. As a church, I hope that we're convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus and that he is for us. And we're going to sing about that together right now.